Okay, I'm still a bit nervous using this to make sure I've got it on. So, uh, yeah, we're going to continue this morning with our study of John's Gospel. We're doing specifically from chapter 13, and we'll be going through right to the end of John's Gospel uh, over the next weeks, uh, so long as we, get, we can keep the door open and we're still allowed to come. We are excited about this study because it's absolutely packed with uh, God's joy and God's secrets and the wisdom of God and this gospel of John is just power packed it's a powerful powerful gospel I was listening to um, to John Lennon professor John Lennon who has just put out a film that we had the privilege of seeing the preview of it last night watching it and uh, as many of you know Professor John Lennon is, or not Lennon, John Lennon. Professor John Lennox is originally from Armagh, bit of a difference. John Lennox, and John Lennox has taken on, he's a, a, he's a scientist, and he's taken on Hawkins and Dawkins and all kinds of scientists who are atheists because they, they because they've, um, they have studied science. They feel that science uh, disqualifies God. But John Lennox, as a scientist himself, recognises that, sci that science opens up and gives understanding to the greatness of who God is and his purposes. Interesting that uh, John Lennon, John, I have to stop saying John Lennon, John Lennox, it's interesting that what he said last night was a couple of things that just caught me. He said how scientists up until fairly recently believed that the world had always been, but now they have discovered that there, has, that there is a beginning. And so this, hence they, they, they talk now about the Big Bang. But he was saying how in John's Gospel, uh, it's very clear that uh, there is a beginning. In fact, Genesis 1 verse 1 says, in the beginning, God. And he was saying in John's, obviously in John's Gospel, uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And John uh, Lennox last last night was he pointed out that um, that science uh, up to recently believed that that um, it's this random thing with a big bang, but he was saying how they have now discovered the genetic code of recent years, and the genetic code is intelligence. It is a code that is intelligent. It's a code that is worded, and of course it goes to in the beginning was the word the logos. In the beginning was the word our genetics we are made up of a code and he went on to say how Jesus coded himself into humanity so you know these are things that are that, I mean science it's out of my depth but to listen to a man who has studied his life uh, and, and, and discussed with the, the, the so-called greatest world thinkers. Uh, it's so beautiful to hear him speaking like this. So anyhow, that's just an introduction to John's Gospel because it's so powerful. On the other end of the scale, uh, when we think of someone who is so intellectual and who is a light in the world of academia, when we look at Professor John Lennox, the opposite end of the scale, I want to tell you about my little boy. He's not a little boy now, he's 30-something. Uh, William. William is just so simple. And for those of you who might, might uh, this might be your first time here, um, William is Down syndrome and he's at the back somewhere. And he has very little speech and he doesn't really um, understand a lot even of, of uh, receptive language. But when he was a child, he used to listen to videos 
about salty. Remember those videos that not not salty as an S A L T Y, but salty as P S A L T Y, but the Sams. And and in those in that those videos, there was one song that William uh, learned as a child, and it's into my heart, into my heart, come into my heart, Lord Jesus, come in today, come in to stay, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. And you know, that's the essence of the gospel. And uh, I just wanted to run through the, the introduction that I have written in your notes for you, just to remind you that the enemy's greatest desire is to steal your joy. He did it successfully in the Garden of Eden when fellowship with God was broken through sin. And we, we know this, but I'm just wanting to really pinpoint this at the beginning. And Satan continues to use the same tactics every day of our lives. Sin is independence of God. That's what happened in the Garden of Eden. Jesus was the most joyful person who ever lived because he lived a life of sinless attachment to his Father and to the Holy Spirit who rested and remained upon him. Jesus came to this world to be the final sacrifice for sin so that you and I could be reconciled to God to live in continuous, joyful fellowship with God. Jesus said there was extreme joy in heaven when one person repents of sin and comes to God. Luke's, Luke's Gospel 15, chapter 15 tells us that. We were created in God's image to be part of his family. So of course the angels who are part of, the, of God's household, of course they're going to get excited whenever one of us comes back to the Father. Remember, and this is what I want to bring you back to last week, we are interconnected, we are attached to heaven and to each other. Those of us who have received Jesus as our Saviour and Lord, we are in the one body of Christ and we are connected together. And last week we looked at that. I'm just going to again run over this very, very quickly. Previously last week we shared from John 13 verses 1 to 17, first of all that Jesus knew where he came from and where he was going. He knew his identity. He knew who he was and he knew his destiny. He knew where he was going. And yet, his priority was to wash the feet of this bunch of disciples who happened to have dirty feet through walking around Israel uh, with, with open sandals. And we, we learned last week that he was teaching them not just about physically washing their feet, but he was teaching them the wonder of ongoing joy through ongoing forgiveness. That we're meant to, we're meant to have fresh communion every day. We're meant to wash ourselves every day. You know, when the priests were ordained in the Old Testament to serve in the tabernacle and later in the temple, they had one washing from head to toe. And then after that, they just, when they went to serve, they, they only went to the labor and they just washed their hands because they were already clean. They had already been, they'd already been dedicated. They belonged to God, but they just needed fresh cleansing. And that was the lesson that we learned last week that Jesus was teaching these disciples, that it's a daily cleansing, that he wants to wash our feet constantly. And not only that last week, not only did he, does he want us to have that continuous communication and connection and attachment to heaven, but he wants us to have it for each other. Because we looked last week at how he taught the disciples and told them that they needed to learn to wash, 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 my lips are getting me a little bit here, wash 
each other's feet. That's the connection with the body. And that's, we talked last week about, that is joy. That is having connection with heaven and connection with each other. That is the essence of joy. But we're going to be building on joy every time that we meet to the end of John's Gospel. We're going to be building on what joy really means in our lives. And so here we are today and we're reminding ourselves that, that the God that we serve expects us to love each other. Not only to receive his love and to love God back in return, but to love each other. And I've written in your notes that sadly, instead of being long-suffering and forgiving, many of us are quick to take offence and slow to forgive. We forget the gospel message is to love our enemy. And I've given you references there, Luke 6, 27 to 36. Jesus said, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. That's a pretty high calling. But that is the high calling that we're called to. Philippians 3 and 14 tells us that we have a high calling in Christ Jesus. Now we're going to look today, we're st that's just a backdrop to what we're going to look at today. Let's just open up our Bibles, if you have one, to John 13. And we're going to read a couple of verses together. And then we're going to look at this, what happened on this night uh, as it came to the end of Jesus' life. Okay, so we, we read down last week down to verse 17. Just want to remind you of verse 10 where Jesus said to his disciples that whoever is bathed needs only to wash his feet. That means when you sin, if you've trusted Jesus as your saviour and you sin, you don't need to get saved all over again. You just need a fresh cleansing. And we learned last week that John, the disciple who wrote John's gospel, that he never forgot this because in his epistle, he told us specifically that we needed to go and confess our sins and that when we walked in the light and confessed our sins, that the blood of Jesus Christ would continuously cleanse us, wash our feet, cleanse us from sin. So Jesus is making this point and then he says at the end of verse 10, you are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, you are not all clean. Let's just read from verse 18. Here's what Jesus said. I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I've chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. He's speaking now about the person who's going to betray him. Verse 19, now said Jesus, I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me and he who receives me receives him who sent me. When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. We're going to look in a moment at this this, this line, Jesus was troubled in spirit. Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about who, who, who it was that he was speaking. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. This is John writing about himself. I love the way John does this. He doesn't mention his, himself, but he talks about the disciple whom Jesus loved. I want to challenge you today, do you feel and do you know that you're the disciple, that you're the daughter that Jesus loves? You need to get that into your head. You need to get that into your DNA. You need to be thinking like that, that you're the one that Jesus loves. 
And here he was leaning on Jesus. And last week we looked at how this table would have been a low table. This was Eastern culture. A low table, in, apparently in the shape of a U. And they would have um, been sitting on the ground in plenty of cushions, leaning on one arm on the table so they could eat with their right hand. Do you see the way I'm acting this out? And uh, on the right hand side, the person on their right, they would have also been like this, so they would have been able to lean back. So John must have been on the right hand side of right hand side of Jesus because he was able to lean back and he was actually leaning on the breast of Jesus. Interesting that the other side of Jesus, guess who was sitting on the other side of Jesus? Judas Iscariot. And apparently in those days, the left to the left of the main guest was the seat of honor. I want you to remember that that uh, Judas was in the place of honor. And so it says the, the disciples were leaning on Je this disciple was leaning on Jesus and uh, it says that Simon Peter therefore motioned to John to ask who it was whom Jesus spoke so get the picture they're all sort of resting and reclining on this table and Peter of course he's always you know on the go real quick to sort things out and uh, he's hearing Jesus talking about someone who's going to betray him so can't you just see it? He looks over to John and he goes, you could see John was, you know, right beside Jesus. And he's looking at him and he says, find out. Find out who it was. Go on. And so John, let's just read on. It says that, that uh, then leaning back on Jesus' breast, John said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, it is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, Jesus gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered Judas. Then Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. But no one at the table knew for what reason Jesus said this to Judas. For some thought, because Judas had the money box, he was the treasurer of the group, remember, that Jesus had said to him, buy those things we need for the feast, or that we should give something to the poor. Having received the piece of bread, Judas then went out immediately and it was night. Now there's quite a few things I want to say about this and may the Lord help me to say them because uh, I don't want this to come out in a complicated way but I just feel there is something so powerful in these words. First of all we need to know that Jesus had chosen Judas if you look back earlier in the Gospels, you see that Jesus had actually spent a night in prayer before he chose his disciples. So he had chosen this man. And Judas had had all the privileges of hearing Jesus' teaching. He had seen the miracles. He had even been sent out with the disciples to go and heal the sick. He had all the privileges that it was possible to have. He had firsthand had, uh, had, had uh, listened and had seen what Jesus had done and what Jesus had what Jesus said and what he had done and so we kind of wonder how could it be that Jesus would knowing this that he would still choose Judas you see Judas uh, actually in in Psalm 41 it tells us that someone would it prophesies that someone would betray the Messiah the Savior and Judas was that someone and so God I want you to get this God knows what's going to happen but God also gives us free will so Jesus chose 
Judas, but he had the free will to do. And we're going to see this today, that right up to the end, Jesus loved Judas and was showing him the possibility right to the very end that he could love God and that he didn't have to go through with this. You know, God knows everything, but God gives man and woman free will. And so we're going to just look at this for a moment and we're going to see that even in Zechariah 11, the Old Testament prophets had even even given information about how much Judas would, the bribe, and much the bribe would be, that he would, he would take a bribe of 30 pieces of silver. So all of this was prophesied. So we have a God who knows what's up ahead, but a God who gives us free will at the same time. He's an amazing God. And Jesus had chosen him and he had, he, Judas no doubt had been absolutely blessed. Now here's the thing, God chooses us that we will be reconciled to himself, that we will know the fullness of joy that comes with being one with God. Listen, God made you, he knows everything about you. He knows your DNA. He knows every little quirk, every little quirky thing. Don't tell me you aren't a bit quirky. All of us are a wee bit quirky. And God knows all of those things about you, but he loves you and he gives you a free will and he calls you to himself. And throughout the Gospels, the message was, whosoever, whosoever believeth on me. And so this is also the word to Judas, and we need to remember this. But we need to wonder why on earth, with all these privileges, why, what, what was there going on with, with Judas? Now here's a couple of things I wanted to say. First of all, John who wrote this, this gospel, recorded something in chapter 12 just a little incident and uh, we're not going to read it today but it's the story where do you remember where mary had broken that really expensive perfume uh, that ointment that was a beautiful perfume and she poured it over jesus for his burial well john recorded that after mary did that she she it, it was probably her life savings and she smashed it because she loved jesus so much and she wanted to honor him and in her heart it had been revealed to mary that jesus was going to the cross and she did this act of love for his burial to anoint him with oil with this beautiful perfume perfumed oil john records that after that incident that judas said why was this wasted he saw the worship that mary poured out in jesus as just being a waste that tells me something about the way this man was thinking he saw worship as a waste and he said why was this wasted if this money if that ointment if that beautiful perfume had been sold because it was very very expensive we're told Judas is saying, if that had been sold, that money could have been given to the poor. But John in his Gospels very carefully records, he says, Judas didn't care about the poor because he was the one who kept the money. He was the treasurer of the group. And John records that Judas helped himself to the finances of the group because he was a thief. So we get to know a little bit of background about Judas and we get to know something about the way he functioned. Why was he in this group at all? What was it that was, had called him? And, and, and there's a couple of things that I really want to say here. Let me just read this to you. I've sort of printed off a couple of things from commentaries. Why did Judas become a disciple of Jesus? 
Probably he thought that Jesus would set up a political kingdom and Judas would be in line for a top job in the new administration. Now, before you start getting all high and mighty and thinking you would never do that, you know, that's in all our hearts, isn't it? We're, we're all, not all of us, are, we're actually not an awful lot, you know, unlike him. Uh, probably he thought that Jesus would set up a political kingdom and he would be in line for a top job in the new admin. Even James and John, remember, had aspirations about sitting on the right hand or the left hand of Jesus. But things weren't going quite as Judas had hoped. Jesus was talking more and more about his death. The religious leaders weren't lining up uh, behind him to support his claims to be the Messiah. And so, in disappointment, it would seem Judas bailed out by betraying Jesus for a few pieces of silver. This, these notes say the application is, why do you follow Jesus? Most of us would have to admit that we came to Jesus for selfish reasons. We had some needs or desires and we hoped that Jesus would meet those needs. But what do you and I do when things don't go as smoothly as we'd expected? What do you do when rather than more blessings you have more trials? What do you do when you discover that the path Jesus has called you to walks leads to a cross before it leads to a crown? Do you still follow him and seek to glorify him? Or at such times do you turn back in disappointment or even worse, turn against Jesus? How could Judas do such a thing? We need to know that we all have a heart that the Bible describes as being desperately wicked, desperately complex. There's you know, I often say we should never say I'd never do that because, you know, put in the right circumstances, there's no telling there, but for the grace of God, go I. Don't we often say that. And so um, Judas had witnessed so much truth and, and yet here he was and he was about to, he was about to betray the Saviour. Now, you get the picture where they're all together in this room and John has found out from Jesus that the person that he passes this dip to, now you, you, it's some, in some of the older translations it talks about it being a sop or a dip, it was a piece of bread. It's interesting that this may actually have been a, a piece of bread that was used at Passover where they took some of the Passover lamb and they, they tied it together with some other pieces, with the, with the bread and they dipped it in liquid. You know, we, we talk, we've, I mean, dips are quite, um, they're quite in thing, aren't they? We talk about having a few dips before we eat. Well, back in those days, this is what happened at, the, at, at these particular times. They dipped the bread and then passed it. And it was an act of friendship and an act of hospitality and kindness and love. The first person who got the dip. So Jesus was in effect, he was actually showing love and he was, he was showing preferential treatment to to Judas uh, as he was um, as he was lifting this this dip and isn't it amazing I'd love you to just to keep this picture in your mind John's on the right hand side of Jesus Judas is on his left and the cup where the dip holding the the liquid where the dip the bread was dipped into was right there on the table and can you imagine that Jesus and and Judas are actually dipping the bread into the same cup and Jesus takes this dip and he puts it into the liquid and he gives it to, 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 to Judas. I wanted to read this to you because it's a quote from a, a, a theologian called John MacArthur. 
And here's what he says, why Jesus was troubled. Why was Jesus so troubled that night? Here's what he says. He was troubled because of the unrequited love of Judas. See, Jesus had shown nothing but love to this man, but it had, been, it had not been returned. Now, there's a particular pain about investing in somebody and loving somebody when, whenever they turn against you, isn't there? Isn't there something about opening up your heart to someone? Uh, it, we feel it, it romantically whenever we have a relationship with someone and we get hurt. It's like a dagger in our heart. And we, we know it in friendships. And we know when we invest in friendships and we love each other and we, we're really deep friends that have shared things together and shared life. There's a particular pain, isn't there? Whenever someone turns against you, we often say they stick the knife in. And that's what happened here. Jesus was troubled because he knew what Judas was about to do. He knew that despite the fact that Jesus had loved him, that Judas was about to betray him, was about to, um, to hurt him. Jesus was troubled, as, uh, John MacArthur says, because of the ingratitude in Judas's heart. He was troubled because Jesus had a deep hatred of sin and it was sitting right next to him, sin incarnate. Sin was in Judas and sin was having its way. Somewhere along the line, Judas made a choice that he was going to go the way of the enemy instead of going God's way. He was troubled because Jesus was shrinking from sin, but he was troubled also because he knew of the eternal destiny in hell that Judas was going to uh, have to suffer. Now, I wanted to read this to you, this particular thing, because this really grabbed me. As we read those verses, do you get the sense that, that there's satanic activity? This quote from MacArthur says this, Jesus was troubled because he could see with his omnipotent eye, remember he was God as well as man, he could see with his omnipotent eye, he could see Satan moving around Judas. And he was troubled because he had a knowledge of the sin of the betrayer, of the betrayer and the terrors of his eternal punishment. Jesus was troubled because he sensed that all that sin and death meant. He knew what sin and death meant and he was troubled because he had an inner awareness that Judas was the classic illustration of the wretchedness of sin which he would have which Jesus would have to bear in his own body on the next day. The sin for which Jesus would be made responsible for and would die for. You need to know that this night was the night before Jesus was going to go to the cross. Even though Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him, he didn't remove Judas from the inner circle. And, and as, 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 Jesus was, as Judas was seated in that place of honour, Jesus honoured him by giving him the dip. You know, Jesus genuinely loved Judas, just the way he loves you and he loves me. I, I just feel it's so important that we grasp what, what giving this dip really meant. Let me read this to you. I just found this this morning. 
uh, and I, I printed it off. When Jesus gave the dip to Judas, it was a last appeal to, the, to Judas's better nature. It was a note of warning underlying the appeal. Jesus wanted Judas to know that the whole world of blessed possibility lay before him as he was offered that dip. Divine love was in that offer and free forgiveness and full restoration was in that offer if only Judas would repent of his meditated crime. And just because of the immensity of meaning that lay in Christ's gift was the awfulness of its result. Now listen to this. Judas received the dip or the sop and doubtless ate it. He understood what Jesus wished him to understand, the mingled love and warning and promise and appeal that lay in the act of Jesus when he passed that dip to him. But at this crisis of his fate, he closed his ears to Christ's offer and to closed his heart to Christ's grace. And immediately the light that lingered in Judas was turned to darkness. It tells us, and I read it to you a few minutes ago, at the moment that he took the dip, it tells us that Satan entered into Judas. You know, I know so many people who think that they can get through life without choice. They can get through life and, and uh, really it's not that important about choosing Jesus as saviour. But you know, at, 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 at some point in your life, if you don't make the choice to invite Jesus to come in to be your saviour and invite him to come in and take over your life and have his rightful place. If you don't do that at some time in your life, there will come a point where the enemy will take up his place. If you give him, Judas had given Satan legal ground in his life he was a thief. He had unconfessed sin. He was he was after uh, he was after place and position. He wanted to be he wanted to be in the top administration of Jesus. He was out for his own ends, and he had given a place to the enemy. If you give the enemy legal ground in your life, that is unconfessed sin. That's all those little things that you don't think much about. Satan's taken note. And you see at the moment where you're about to go out into eternity, he'll move in. And I have been really, really almost frightened to speak about this this morning. Because I don't know who's listening to me uh, who, who as yet has not asked Jesus to come into their heart. And, and I, have, I have people that I care deeply about and have prayed for for many years. And as yet, they have decided to keep Jesus at arm's length. And all the while, because of our, just because of the way we're born in sin, the Bible tells us, we don't have to do massively bad things, but we're born in sin. And as we go through life without reconciliation to God and cleansing, total cleansing from sin, we give, continue to give the enemy legal, legal space in our lives. And you know what? If we go out into eternity, there'll come a moment where there's no turning back. There'll come a moment where the Satan will, will move in completely to take over. It's very interesting that it tells us here that having received the piece of bread, that, that Judas went out immediately and it was night. I read somewhere, it really stuck with me, that Judas 
moved out of the light. Remember that Jesus was the light of the world. He moved out of the light and into the night. But here's the thing, the disciples were also perplexed about Judas. They wondered what on earth was going on. And Jesus spoke very tenderly to the disciples this night. Because he said, after Judas had gone out, it tells us in verse 31, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. You know that, that God will be glorified. God was going to be glorified through Jesus going to the cross. And even though Judas had, had, had done the dirtiest deed that he could do in betraying the Saviour, even though he had taken a bribe of 30 pieces of silver and had decided against God, against Jesus the Messiah, and had gone out, Jesus was now speaking about how he was going to be glorified and how he was going to bring glory to God. And here's what he says in verse 33. Little children, Jesus said, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, and that you also love one another. And by this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for the other. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus said to him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterwards. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I lay down my life for your sake. And Jesus answered him, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. Oh Lord, help me to get through this next few verses and to wind this up the way it's in my heart that I would love you to catch this because I believe there's something in these words, in these, in these verses that is so powerful. First thing I want to say to you is that Jesus spoke tenderly to his disciples that night and I want to tell you he continues to speak tenderly to you. He even spoke tenderly to Judas right to the very last moment he gave him the, the dip he gave him the opportunity to the very last minute he was saying to Judas I love you choose me that's the heart of the Savior he loves us and he loves us so much and he's speaking to them as little children I want to tell you about how there is joy to see yourself as a child of God to know that you are one of his little children and you know John never forgot this because as an old man what does he write in his epistles so often he says little children you know John lived to a great age he was very old probably in his 90s he was he ended up on the Isle of Patmos and there's so much that we have to look at in the next weeks to come about about what he was like as an old old man but they tell us History tells us that when he became so weak that he couldn't really walk and he could hardly breathe, they used to carry John the Apostle as an old man and bring him where the people were. And all he could say was, little children love one another, for God is love. Listen, this is the essence of everything. Love makes, truly does make the world go round. And God is love. And John the Apostle wrote in his, in his letters as an old man about how God was love and how we love him because he first loved us. And so that night there was tenderness spoken and Jesus is speaking about his glory. 
But then, as well as that, we see that Jesus was concerned for Peter. Do you see the emotions that are going on on this particular night? This is the night before Jesus was going to go to the cross. Do you see the emotions that are going around this place and how he's concerned for Peter? And he goes to Peter. I'm going to read to you just from your notes because I've taken it from some of the other, other Gospels because Mark and Luke's Gospels give us extra information about this night. Here's what Luke says. Jesus said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. You know, when you think about being sifted as wheat, that, that talks about the chaff. Satan wanted to really shake. He wanted to shake Peter. He was after Peter's heart he wanted to destroy him but jesus had prayed for him and peter's response was even if everyone else deserts you i never will then jesus said peter and this is this is from the um, new living translation here's what here's what the lord said peter let me tell you something and you just see the lord leaning over peter let me tell you something before the rooster crows tomorrow morning you will deny me three times that you even know me. What a wonder that Jesus knows you and he knows me and he knew Peter better than we know ourselves. You know, one of the reasons that we can have joy is that the God who created this universe, the one who keeps everything spinning and in control, that he knows you, that you are his child, and that he specifically prays for you. You see, Jesus knew that Satan, remember he knew the activities of Satan in that room that night, and he knew that Satan had, was after Peter, but he had, he had prayed for Peter, and he prays for you, and he knows what the enemy's trying to do in your life right now, and he knows what the enemy's tactics are for the future as well, but he's praying for you. We could, we could also say the Holy Spirit, we know he, I don't want to get into that line, there's so much, but I'm sticking with this point. Jesus is praying for you. Hebrews 7, 25 says that he, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God, uh, and he is always there to live and to make intercession for us. John as an old man in 1 John 2 verse 1 said, Little children, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. One who is always constantly praying for you before the Father. The Godhead's in unity. If two of you shall agree, it shall be done. Jesus prays for you. That is massive. I'm, I'm winding up towards the end and I want to really make this point. Lord, help me to get this point across. Do you realize that Jesus prays for you? That he's concerned for what's happening to you and he knows what the enemy is plotting against you now and for the future. What a blessing to know that the God of the universe is praying for you so that you'll win against the enemy. That the enemy might try to shake you, but that you're going to overcome, that you're going to be a winner. You know, Peter later wrote in 1 Peter 5, verses 5 to 11, we're not going to read it all, but that's where he talks about how when we humble ourselves, when we realize who God is and where we fit, he says he cares for us. He talks about how Jesus cares for you, how we should cast our cares upon him because he cares for us 
for you. And, and Peter goes on to say, but we have an enemy like a roaring lion and he's out to seek who he might devour. See, Jesus knew about, Peter knew about it firsthand. But here's the thing. Jesus said to Peter, Peter, when you come back to me, strengthen the people around you. You see, Jesus could see who Peter was eventually going to become. Instead of failure, Jesus knew Peter would end up stronger and more equipped to, ha to, to, to help others. And in Acts 2 verse 14, you see where everybody's saying the Holy Spirit had come down and everybody's saying these disciples are drunk and it could have been a scary time. What do we see? We see this man who later, who, who we know, as we're going to go through it in the next few weeks, the one that, that did deny Jesus, who was so afraid. What happens in Acts chapter 2? We see Peter rising up and starting to preach with a loud voice. This is the one that you crucified. Peter became a transformed man. Do you know that Jesus can see who, who you can become? Jesus sees you. Jesus could see Peter and he could see what the plans that he had for him. Here's the wonder. Jesus loves you now as though you had already reached the fulfilment that, he, that, that, that God has promised. Jerry gave me this. I'm going to read a couple of things that Jerry gave and a couple of things, and a wee thing that, that Joy gave me as well. Colossians 3 and 3 says that our lives are hid with Christ. And I really, I really want to read this because it's so, it's so brilliant. God knows your faith, your love, and how he will transform you to make you like his son. Now here's the bit that really caught Jerry and I. God loves you now as though you've already reached the fulfillment that he has promised for your life. God loves you. Even when we get things wrong, God continues to love you. God is a God of love. Joy, Joy give me this word, it's from the Passion Devotional. Fix your eyes on me. Even as these battles rage against your soul, I am right there with you in the midst of them. Though you may be battle-weary, I will be your strength. I have all the grace you need to stand, to breathe again, to see things from my perspective and align your thoughts and words with mine. You're feeling defeated, my child, and it's time to completely release your impossible situation into my capable hands. I will continue to remind you over and over, I am the God of possibility. Nothing is too hard for me. Lean into my arms. Get a picture of John leaning back on the breast of Jesus. Let me be your strength when you have none of your own. Let me breathe into every cell and every thought. Invite me to expose every lie with my unshakable truth. Focus on my omnipotence not your problem. Bring me your analysing and overthinking as an offering of total abandonment and trust. Fix your eyes on me and you will feel me washing away the debris of doubt and frustration. Sing your highest praise and choose to believe me that I will take care of you. 
And all of that's based on Ephesians 3, where the Passion Translation says, I pray that he would, God would unveil within you the unlimited riches of his glory and favor until supernatural strength floods your innermost being with his divine might and explosive power. Then by constantly using your faith, the life of Christ will be released deep inside you and the resting place of his love will become the very source and root of your life. Those are powerful words, aren't they? How can we be a joy carrier? I want to run that over this. I just want to run through this again. Number one, you and I need to know and live in the reality of knowing that we are in Christ as part of his body. That is daily attachment to heaven. That's knowing that we are actually as though there was a cord from you into heaven, that you're connected to heaven. John Lennox, at the end of his talk last night, he referred to how scientists who think that, um, who think that there's no God and that it's just we can explain everything, he was saying how it actually shrinks the mind. It brings everything into a much smaller mindset. And he was saying as a believer and as a scientist believer, how actually it should be the opposite because we're going out the death opens us up to a much wider place we're going out into something that's so much better and so much bigger at the end John Lennox said roll bring it on Lord roll it on we need to know that that we are part unconnected to heaven to the to the creator of the universe who has plans for a new heaven and a new earth that we're going to be part of so first thing is to know who you are. You're part of Christ and you're a part of the body of Christ. We need to love each other and, and help each other. When, when Jesus spoke to Peter, he said, I'm praying for you that you'll not only get through this, but that you'll help your brother and your sister, that you'll help those around you. Our role, God's plan for to bring glory to his name is that we would love each other and do good to each other and build each other up and encourage each other. That's what it is, connection, upwards connection. It's the cross. It's the shape, as we said last week, of the cross. So we need to know who we are and know that we're part of the body of Christ. Secondly, we need to keep short accounts with God. Daily washing, daily forgiveness. Just don't let that stuff pile up. Don't that Those lies that go into your mind that you start thinking negatively, don't let them stay there. Get them out. Start, start telling God, I'm repenting from, I know that's a lie. I know it's not the truth. doesn't line up with your word. You love me and there's no sin, no condemnation. I am free of all of that. Start to speak out the truth. Keep short accounts. That's daily washing. Three, release and bless those who hurt or offend you. That's daily forgiving. That's easy to remember, but it's not so easy to do. Four, be aware that Jesus is praying for you. That's daily confidence. If the God who made everything is praying for you, if he's for you, who can be against you, Paul said in, in Romans chapter 8. Five, know where you're going, your ultimate destiny. That's your daily purpose. Know you've got a purpose. Know you can walk in that purpose daily. I want to turn over the page and I want to look to John chapter 14, verse 1. Remember that he has just spoken to Peter and he said to Peter, you're going to deny me. You're going to deny me, Peter. Jesus was troubled that night. He says, Peter, you're going to deny me, but I've prayed for you. The very next page, what does it say in chapter 14, verse 1? Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me. 
In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Peter wanted to go with him in this life. He couldn't understand what was going on. Jesus says, Peter, I know you're going to deny me, but Peter, it's okay, because you're going to be with me. You're going to be with me in my house. Peter, you belong to me. That's what Jesus was ultimately saying. Peter, you see, had opened up his heart to the Lord. He wasn't perfect. He was just like you and me. And for those of you who have trusted Jesus, remember that he fills your heart. He wants to fill your heart with his love. He wants to expand your life experience. He wants to make your life richer. Life is richer when we live in love with the Savior and each other. And you know, it's such a simple thing to open up our heart and ask Jesus to come in. And even as believers, we just need that constant cleansing and that constant infilling of his love. William sleeps in a room where his bed is looking into the wardrobe. And the wardrobe has got mirrors, mirrored doors right down the wardrobe. So when he sits up in bed at night, he sees himself and so often he looks at himself in the mirror and he sits up and you know what he starts to sing and it's, I, I, I know the tune of it but it's up and down it's like you might know recognize the tune but here's what he sings into my heart into my heart come into my heart lord jesus come in today come in to stay come into my heart lord jesus you know, it blesses my heart every time I hear him singing that. Because God has made the way so simple. If the greatest intellect, like a man like Professor John Lennox, down to my William, who has so little intellect, and yet William has grasped the truth of inviting Jesus into his heart. You know, that's where real living begins, when we walk with the Saviour in our hearts. Let's believe today that God's word is going to bear fruit in all our lives and that we will become more joyful and know the secret. What does it say in Nehemiah chapter 8? The joy of the Lord is your strength. And never, never before have we needed the strength of the Lord in these days. And so I just want to say, open your heart. Maybe you've known Jesus for a long time, but your heart has just got a bit closed. Maybe you're just not enjoying his love because you've allowed a lot of sin to hype up and a lot of things that you're worried about. And worries really are sin, remember, because God tells us to cast our cares upon Jesus because he cares for us. And we need to be living in the reality of a God who cares for us and a God who wants to lift the burdens off us. And so, Father, I just pray today that you will come by your grace and that you will meet with us and that we might each have a personal encounter with you today that will, that will change us and transform us to be more like you. Lord, I just thank you that you're such a mighty God. And I just pray for those who might be listening today or later on through the video, I pray that God's word will speak to your heart and that you will have a personal encounter with God that will transform you, bring you into deeper joy and a knowledge of Jesus Christ. Amen.